The invention of motion pictures changed America and the world forever. By the 1920s, Hollywood was thriving as a new mecca for cinema, and it was through movies that the first national celebrities were born. There had always been local celebrities, but now with nationwide movies and this cross-country exposure, you had the first real national celebrities, that the idea of celebrity reached a whole new level. And just the effect of the cinema made these actors appear larger than life. Their image was blown up 30 feet tall on the screen, and now audiences sat captive under them. And so celebrities became idols. We call them stars because they shine so brightly. They're given special treatment, special privilege, because they're more important, right? Everyone loves them. Countless people sing their praises and give them special awards. And the dream now for many is to become one of them. Trust me, growing up right next to Hollywood, countless people come to town with only one goal in mind, and it's just to be famous. And this cult of celebrity feeds into what desires? What desires for glory, admonition, recognition, praise? And these things all belong to God, for only he is worthy. But it's very much now part of our fallen natures to want these for ourselves. We want the glory. We want the power. We want others to serve us. And though we're not worthy like God, we want others to to praise our name. And to God, such desires of self-worship amount to high treason. It's like the sin of Babel. Humanity gathered together at Babel to build a city and a tower for themselves reached into heaven. Why did they do that? Why did they come together for that purpose? And Genesis 11 reveals it was to make a name for themselves. Far from seeking the praise of God's name, they wanted that the glory for themselves. And this is what celebrity culture is like today. It's all about making a name for yourself, that effectively you might be worshipped, not God. This desire for self-exaltation is to be expected in the world. But the problem is it's made its way into the church. American Christian culture has largely adopted the ways of the world. And this includes that desire for greatness, where we, we want to be known. We, we want to be loved. And success in Christian ministry these days is pretty much equated to a popularity contest. Now, how many people are at your church? How many people know your name? How many Instagram followers do you have? And this type of celebrity culture is a real problem when it gets into the lifeblood of the church, because the church is supposed to be a community of the redeemed who are all about making the name of God known, not their own. The church lives to serve Christ, exalt his name. And so self-exaltation has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Yet many people enter Christian ministry with selfish motives, where they're in it for themselves. And they find ministry to be a means of personal gain, a place to find personal fame, personal fortune, personal success. And pastors especially who get infected with this celebrity mentality spell real trouble. Such a mindset is dishonoring to God. It finds no favor with him. It violates the Great Commission because it's not like you're making your own disciples. You're supposed to be making disciples of Christ. And self-serving motives are also self-defeating. When you're living to magnify your own name and you make that your ministry mindset, you enter this rat race of 
constantly trying to get ahead, but you're never truly fulfilled. I mean, the game of trying to to gain recognition is never ending. And I believe God has built in frustration to that pursuit. And so it's no wonder these are the guys who experience the most discouragement in ministry. And these are the ones who tend to fall away because they're never satisfied. And no, the cult of celebrity does not belong in the church. Instead, God's design for all his people, pastors especially, is to deny self and serve Christ. Where the disciple of Jesus no longer lives for self and self-will, but for God and his will. He or she is a humble servant of the Lord and committed now to Christ's agenda. They don't come with their own personal agenda trying to get ahead trying to make a name for themselves. They're simply all about bringing glory to God, lifting up his name through worship, through evangelism. This is Christian ministry the right way. And when you serve like this, the amazing thing is God has built in satisfaction and joy in the place of service. You know, the world says, if you want satisfaction and joy in life, we've got to become rich and powerful and you make other people serve you. But deeper joy is found in serving the Lord and serving others. And this is part of the paradox of following Christ. Where the first shall be last, the last shall be first. It's better to give than to receive. It's greater to serve than to be served. Now, why do I bring all this up? And where am I going with this? I'll explain a little bit. As most of you know, recently I was invited to speak to some new pastors and fresh seminary graduates from Berea Seminary in Spain. Not long ago, we started supporting this seminary through TMAI Spain. And these new pastors, they're facing many challenges and hardships. You know, first off, none of them are paid. They're all bivocational ministers, which means they work a full-time job and then they pastor their little church on the side. And so this means most of them are exhausted mentally, spiritually, physically. They're just tired. They're weary. And furthermore, they're typically oppressed. Their culture stands against them and is turned quite liberal. It's not a popular thing to be a minister of the gospel over there. And their church life is a struggle too. The average size Christian church in Spain is about 30 people. A mega church would be this church, which is, is... It says something about Spain, about 100 is a megachurch over there, 150. Their churches aren't growing much. And even within, they still have many challenges. Even the relatively good churches, they still have some bad doctrine. They're still reforming. And so these new pastors, they face a lot of opposition even from within as they try little by little to bring change to their church. And all this struggle has translated into, for some of them, discouragement. A lot of these new young pastors are discouraged in ministry. You know, why keep pastoring when you have such difficult circumstances? No one seems to appreciate you. You don't see any results. You're not really getting anything out of it. It can be discouraging. And so I was invited to bring them a message at this retreat that both challenged them and also encouraged them to just keep fighting the good fight of the faith. Because in all honesty, they're, they're doing the right thing. They're on the right path. They just need to, to keep going and be encouraged and be faithful in the work. 
And so that was my assigned task, and I, to- I chose to help them by reminding them of the right motive of ministry. Now, if you're in ministry for the wrong reasons, or if you let the wrong reasons take over, it's, it's just a matter of time before you hit that wall of discouragement and disillusionment. If you're in ministry for the glory of self, you're not going to last. Instead, only when you're completely sold out to the right motive of ministry, which, which is just the glory of God, will you be able to endure. And then you can do so with encouragement and excitement and joy. It can be a challenging message to hear, but it's only right for all of us to frequently examine ourselves and kind of check our motives. You know, why do we do what we do? Why are we in ministry? Why do we even follow Christ? Like, why are we even here right now? Why why do we do all this? And there are only two fundamental answers. You can't really escape either of these answers. Why do you serve Christ? Answer number one, to build your own name. Answer number two, to build Christ's name. That's it. Everything else can pretty much be reduced back to one of these two answers. Either you're in it one way or another for yourself or for the Lord. And I'll tell you, if you're in ministry for self, if selfish gain is driving this train, if that celebrity mentality has infected you, you're probably not going to endure. You won't last because you're going to find disappointment. But if you deny self, deny self-will, and you approach with the right motive, you're just a humble servant of Christ, well, you can endure with joy. Where you're just simply embracing the call to be faithful and selflessly serve the Lord. That right there is the antidote to discouragement in ministry. Just be faithful. You don't have to worry about results. Those are in God's hands. You don't have to worry about you know, the rat race of trying to get ahead because well, you're, you're not trying to build your own name. And you don't have to worry about affliction. And granted, it may not be pleasant, but God is faithful too. He will preserve you. Just be faithful in ministry for the right reasons to build Christ's name and, and God will help you endure and he'll give you peace and joy in ministry. And this, I believe, is an exhortation and an encouragement that all pastors need to hear often. But here's the thing. As I was preparing this message for the men in Spain, it it quickly struck me that this message is not just for pastors. Because pastors aren't the only ones who serve the Lord, right? All of you are also called to serve the Lord with your spiritual gifts in the local church. And so I think all people who serve need to be reminded how those same impure motives can sneak in and then sour their service. It's fair for all of you even to ask yourselves, why do you do what you do in the church? Is it to build your own name, to seek your own glory, or is it simply for the name of Christ and for his glory? Just think of all the many ways people serve in a local church. Worship leader, singer, musician, choir member, Sunday school teacher, Bible study leader, prayer team member, usher, 
website developer, sound technician, event planner, decorator, facility maintenance, even cleaner. Now, in the history of the church, do you think anyone has ever served in one of these areas out of selfish motives? Has that like ever happened once or twice in the history of the church where, you know, they're really motivated secretly by self. They're trying to get something out of it or, or build their own name. Has that ever happened? Yeah, more than a few times. And like I said before, especially in America with our celebrity culture, you might be surprised how much this takes place in the church. You know, we want recognition. We'll settle for local celebrity status. We know we're not going to be national, but that's fine. We just want our names to be known and appreciated and, and praised a little bit. But this type of selfish mentality can infect a local church and really do a lot of damage. So anyway, again, the more I thought about it, the more I became convinced that you know, this message is really for the whole church. It's for all who serve. And as we finish this year, we look to the new year. I figured it would be a good a time as any to uh, give you the same challenge and encouragement and reminder for you to serve simply for the name of Christ. You know, why do you do what you do here at Brain Bible Church? And be reminded to make it all about Christ's name. In this, God will be glorified and, and you will be blessed. So with the rest of your time or our time, I'm going to give you a bit of an adapted message from the, the first message I gave to the men in Spain. And so we're going to explore two ministry motives that you might be reminded to minister for the sake of Christ's name, which is to your joy. We're going to explore two ministry motives that you might be reminded to minister for the sake of Christ's name, which is to your joy. More of a topical message, a lot of scriptures. So if you're quick, you can follow along. But let's begin. First with this, the, the pattern of the self-serving minister. Let's begin with the pattern of the self-serving minister. And from here on, I'm going to be using the term minister in the broadest sense possible, not just the pastor, but anyone who serves in the church with their spiritual gifts. You are a, a minister. But here we're talking about those who serve ultimately for themselves. They're seeking glory for their own name. They're in love with praise and adoration. Often this is paired with a love of money. This pattern immediately evokes the shepherds of Israel who were characterized as self-serving. And so God frequently rebuked them, like Ezekiel 34, verse 2, where God said to them, Whoa, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? And what's the job of a shepherd? Well, to feed the flock. To guide the flock, to guard the flock, to lead the flock. Lay down your life for the flock. But these shepherds of Israel were getting fat off the flock. They were fleecing the flock. You know, you serve me. You fill my pockets. You build my ego. And no doubt, these are the wrong motives. And this self-serving pattern in ministry carries into the New Testament with the spiritual leaders of Israel at that time, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees. And you might recall Christ frequently rebuked them too, right? 
Why? Because their leadership was aimed at being noticed by men. Matthew 6.1. What was their motive for charity, for giving? Matthew 6.2 says, to be honored by men. Why did they pray? What was their motive for public prayer? Matthew 6.5 says, to be seen by men. And Christ later said of them, Matthew 23, 5-7. He says, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. And you see what fuels their ministry? It's the love of praise. That they love the place of honor. They love the chief seats. They love the respectful greetings. They love it when people stand up when they enter the room. They love it when people bow down before them. They were like the ancient celebrities. And many Christians today, similarly, they do what they do simply to be noticed by men. Does that describe you? You may think, well, yeah, that's the Pharisees. Like, they're the bad guys. That's what we expect from them. But the same corruption in ministry can take place in the church. Do you think it's possible for someone to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ, yet from impure motives? Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. The Apostle Paul even says so. The Apostle Paul, he writes Philippians during his first Roman imprisonment, after being jailed in Rome, it left a spiritual leadership vacuum. And so other men rose up to fill that gap. And Paul speaks of them in Philippians 1. Just listen. Philippians 1, 15 through 17. He's talking about these other ministers who have risen up. He says, some, to be sure, are even preaching Christ from envy and strife. But some also from goodwill, the latter doing it out of love, knowing that I've been appointed for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So do you see why some of these guys were preaching Christ? What was their motive? Paul says envy and strife. Meaning this, there was a group of men and, and they entered ministry just because they wanted what Paul had. By this time, Paul had gained a name and recognition and honor. He was not seeking these things, but just by virtue of being an apostle, he gained them. But these other preachers, they just wanted that prestige selfishly for themselves. They just wanted to be on top. And so they were proclaiming Christ, Paul says, out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. Just trying to get ahead, trying to make a name for themselves. And keep in mind, these were not outright false teachers with false doctrine. Paul says they were truly preaching Christ just from impure motives. And the same thing can happen today. In response to this, Paul rejoiced because, hey, at least they were preaching the true gospel. 
And we likewise can rejoice any time the true gospel goes out. But that doesn't mean these impure motives are okay. They're not. And such impure motives only spell trouble. Any ministry coming from such selfish and self-centered motives is going uh, to be spoiled. It's like baking a cake with rotten eggs. Not going to turn out well. As we find next, the product of the self-serving minister. Secondly here, the product of the self-serving minister. And let me suggest three problems or products that result from serving self in ministry. The first is pride. The first product, of course, is pride where your head gets puffed up, swollen with self-importance. And more than a few ministry servants have repeated the folly of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, he looked out at his kingdom and he said this, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. He was merely boasting and exalting himself. And today this pride is often repeated. You know, the church's ministry coordinator can say, you know, look at this complex organization I run all by myself. This church couldn't run without me. Or the small group leader can say, look at my small group. All the other groups have like eight people. My group has 20 people. Aren't I the best? And the event planner can say, hey, were you at the church party I threw last night? That, that was all me. It was the best one, right? It was all me. And there are endless examples, but they all share the same thing, and that is pride. And what's the problem with this? Two problems. First, such boasting is false. You didn't build anything, and it's not for your glory. God builds his church. He's the builder. You're merely the tool. The hammer doesn't build the house. The builder builds the house. And so the hammer doesn't get any glory. The the builder gets all the glory. And secondly... When you're motivated by self and pride like this, watch out because you've just gained God as your opponent. Remember what Peter instructed the church in 1 Peter 5 verse 5, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if you minister in pride for the sake of self, you're going to learn like Nebuchadnezzar that God has ways of humbling those who walk in pride. And could it even be that Some of your hardships is God's humbling because you've been self-reliant and self-serving in ministry. And pride is a real problem. But such a self-serving motive leads to an even worse product. Number two, compromise. These three products of the self-serving minister. Number two, compromise. What's the measuring stick for successful ministry in God's eyes? Just faithfulness. That's it. Just be faithful. Be faithful to your calling. Whatever it is, be a faithful witness of Christ. Serve with your spiritual gifts. Just be faithful. You can't control the results. So just be faithful. Like I said before, in this, God is glorified. You will be blessed. That's all you got to do. But the self-serving minister is not focused on pleasing God, but pleasing self. They're trying to gain 
praise, adoration, recognition, a name. They've lost sight of the right motivation, which is to build Christ's name. And they now serve to build their own name. This is just the way of the world. And so what is the measuring stick for success in the world? It's not faithfulness. It's results. You have to produce results. If you want to be great, you need to produce results. And these results can take many form, forms, but in the church, it's usually numbers, right? You know, the more people you have at your event means success. Or the more people in your group, the better. Or, hey, the more money you take in, the more successful you are. Or whoever has the nicer building or space must be doing a better job. You know, whatever the form, some people can become results-oriented. Ministry becomes all about growth. And that's how they will be perceived as successful and applauded. But here's the main problem with this, of many though. You know, what happens when the ministry doesn't grow as expected? What happens when, you know, the faithful ministering of the gospel and serving with your spiritual gifts, it doesn't produce that windfall of growth like you were expecting? Well, this should not trouble the Christ-serving minister because, like we said, you're not in control of the results. Just be faithful. No problem. But this does not sit well with the self-serving minister They need results. And this is how compromise is born. This is how both the ministry message and methods are compromised. Now, I told the guys in Spain, this is how the seeker-sensitive movement was born. It started with a bunch of discouraged pastors who were upset because their churches were small and not growing. They wanted more. They wanted glory. So they started to compromise first their message in order to reach more people. Let's, let's tone things down, right? Let's stop talking about sin or hell and let's kind of tone down the gospel. Let's, let's just focus on love. Everyone loves to hear about love. Let's just talk about that. And then they compromised the methods. Now, in fact, let's just tone down the preaching altogether. Let's just play more music. Everybody loves music. Add in a little entertainment. And you know what? It worked. It really worked. Soon their church is starting to fill up with hundreds, even thousands of people. This then put pressure on other pastors to do the same thing. Do you want to be successful in ministry? And you've got to grow your church like that. You've got to do that too. You know, I pray this doesn't happen in Spain, but given the fallen nature of man to serve self, I'm sure it will. And we know this spirit already pervades the church in America. And from the pastor on down, when you become driven by a desire to build your own name for your own glory, you become obsessed with results. And that will lead you down a dangerous road of compromise. This still goes on and does not affect just pastors. And furthermore, such success does not produce true ministry satisfaction or joy. Serving self leads only to, number three, discouragement. Discouragement. It's hard to keep up that rat race of success in the world's eyes. I mean, even if you gain a little success and recognition, it's hard to maintain it. I mean, celebrities are quickly forgotten and replaced, after all. 
I mean, unless you constantly compete, your name is going to be left behind. And even then, any taste of glory you get will be short-lived. The Bible teaches such a pursuit of self and personal glory is just futile and fleeting. Instead, God created us to find fulfillment in him. We're made to derive joy and meaning in life from him. When you look elsewhere, you should be dissatisfied. And the same applies to any ministry that's not driven by the glory of God. If you're in it for yourself, you're eventually going to run into discouragement because it's just not going to turn out like you want. But That's actually a good thing. Could your dissatisfaction in serving the Lord actually be God's frustration for having the wrong motives? Maybe take it as a wake-up call. It's only right, like I said, for all of us to examine our motives. If you're found to be driven by selfish motives, well, burnout is coming. There is a better way, though. The right way. With the right motives. When God called you to follow Christ, he did not do so to build your name. He called you as a humble servant to build his son's name, to further the glory of Christ. And what's so amazing about that, God is so good and wise that he actually designed us as creatures to find our joy and fulfillment when we do that, when we live for Christ. And this is true in ministry as well. The minister is meant to find joy in just just serving his master and nothing more. And your ministry satisfaction will be directly related to how much you are living for Christ's name. So I think it's time for us now to explore the right motive for ministry. We've seen the pattern and the product of the self-serving minister. Let's just flip that and see the pattern and the product of the Christ-serving minister. So next, the pattern of the Christ-serving minister. The pattern of the true minister of the gospel in the New Testament is quite clear. And first, what's your primary role for all of us? Servant. That's it. You're just a servant, a slave of Christ. Just think of the apostles. They were the chief representatives of Christ. And they were given a special title by the Lord. They were given authority. They were given a measure of honor. Nevertheless, how did they view themselves and their place in the church? Well, Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Or 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Or James 1.1, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. They understood they were nothing more than servants. And so are you. And as servants, they were given a mission, a commission, a great commission to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in what name? Not their own name. It's not your name we're baptizing people in. It's the name of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes those in the church lose sight of this and play the name game. They forget they're servants of Christ. They start to form their own little following, like a little celebrity. This happened in Corinth 
if you remember, where people split up along factions. And some were saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Now I'm with Cephas and the self-righteous, so I'm of Jesus. And they were all playing the name game, but Paul responded and said this in 1 Corinthians 1, 13 through 15. He says, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you so that none would say you were baptized in my name. You see, Paul knew as great as he was, that this ministry was not about him or his name. He was just a servant of Christ. It's about Christ's name, not Paul's. And he was driven to serve Christ. Having been justified by grace, he was happy to give up his life in service of Christ. And that's where joy in ministry is actually found. And going back to Philippians, Paul, later on, he's still in jail. He wants to send them some ministers to help them, to shepherd them. But he has a limited selection. He says this now, Philippians 2, 19 through 21. He says, but I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. He says, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. You catch that? And you see what set Timothy apart as a true minister? It was his motive. He was genuinely concerned for others. And these other ministers, though, were completely self-serving. It says they merely were seeking after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. And that right there is the contrast, the right and the wrong motive for ministry. The biblical pattern, though, is, is all about simply being a servant of Christ. That's it. That's your role. And then the servant's motive is merely to serve the interests of his master. He's not seeking his own interests, but those of his master. In fact, it pleases the servant to do the will of his master. And so again, is that you? Do you serve for the sake of him who called you? Not just the pastor, but but everyone should be able to say this, Lord, not my will be done, your will be done. Not my kingdom come, your kingdom come. This is the pattern of the Christ-serving minister. And it leads to, finally, the product of the Christ-serving minister. We can finish the contrast and see now the product of the Christ-serving minister. Well, we'll parallel the three results. The first being humility. Instead of pride, you get humility. And this is the chief virtue of the Christian. If you walk in pride, you can expect not to be used by God, but disciplined by God. But if you humble yourself under his mighty hand, and if you live for his name, you put yourself in a position to receive and experience his sustaining grace. Like we said back in 1 Peter 5, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives Grace to the humble. 
Ministry is hard. Not just for pastors. All ministry is hard. There are countless hardships, challenges, conflicts. It will demand time, energy, sacrifice. Who is sufficient for these things? No one. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. But God's grace makes us sufficient for these things, right? It's what we believe. It's what the Bible teaches. And so we desperately need his strength and power working in us. If we are to serve him in in any capacity, that grace is given, but it's only given to the humble. To those who are not striving for themselves, but they recognize God and his glory and they just want to serve him. God promises he will give that person all the grace they need to do whatever they're called to do. And they'll do so with joy. When you humble yourself and approach ministry for the right reasons, you find access to all the grace you need to serve him. He will sustain you. This will lead you to number two, faithfulness. Instead of compromise, you get faithfulness. Like Timothy, when you set your mind on Christ's interests, not your own, you just will be faithful. You will make it your mission to serve his will and not your own. And as his servant, you just want to do whatever is pleasing to him. And when it comes to ministry, you know what that means. It means that you're going to follow his blueprint. You're going to stick to his message, his method as laid out in scripture. You're not going to change things. You're not going to compromise. You're just going to be faithful to the call to do whatever it is he's called you to do. You're just going to be faithful. You don't need to be pragmatic. You don't need to change things to get results. You're not desperate for results. Just want to be faithful. And you may not be a preacher or teacher, but however God has called you and gifted you to serve, even if it's just washing dishes after a potluck, just be faithful. Be like the faithful farmer in Mark 4. Be faithful to to cast your seed upon the soil. Do the work God has given you to do. God himself will cause the growth. And when he does... When the harvest comes, great or small, you can't boast because you did not cause the growth, but you can delight in the fact that God used you to build his kingdom. This in turn leads to number three, encouragement. You don't get discouragement, you get encouragement. And this is the beauty of being faithful to God's calling. As you seek to serve him and spread his name by preaching his gospel, being faithful to minister with your gifts, God is faithful too. His word does not return void. Your works are not unseen. And God will use your work to build his church. That fact should encourage you. The true minister is excited knowing that he or she is being used as an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. True excitement and encouragement in ministry comes by being A faithful servant who is doing the master's service. That's enough. This is the better way. And it means you can leave the numbers game behind. Doesn't matter. You can leave the name game behind. Who cares? 
And ministry is not a competition. Just be faithful to serve with your gifts. And you can serve with joy. Sleep easy. You're out of the rat race. It's much better. You know, I want you to think about these Spanish pastors. No one outside their tiny little church will ever know their name. They'll get no recognition, honor, or glory. They're not going to write books. They will not be popular speakers. They will never be known. Their names will not go down in history. Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, you'll never hear of them. To the contrary, their names will be completely forgotten by history. Does that sound discouraging to you? That's only discouraging if you're in ministry for yourself and your name. That's, if that's the case, that's super discouraging because it means you failed. But if you're in ministry for Christ's name, you have access to nothing but encouragement. The ministry for Christ's name is not tied to results, but faithfulness. So as long as they're faithful, which they are, they can be forever encouraged and excited to just, just keep going because the Lord sees the work of their hands. He's pleased in his mind. They have succeeded. They're doing well. That's all that matters. And you know what? The same goes for you. How do you serve in the body of Christ? What do you do? Maybe you help in children's ministry. Maybe you're an administrator. Maybe you do landscaping. Maybe you restock the pews. Maybe you do outreach. Maybe you help with cleaning. Maybe you make coffee. Maybe you plan events and decorate. Maybe you help with technology. Just think about what you do. But what if you were never recognized for what you do? What if you were never praised? Would that bother you? What if no one ever patted you on the back? Would that be discouraging to you? Would that make you want to stop serving? If so, such a response would betray the wrong reason for service because we're not supposed to be after the praise of men. And of course, it's nice to be appreciated, of course, but that must not be what drives us to serve the Lord. You've got to keep these wrong motives from creeping in. All too often, we're driven by self, and especially this concern of what others will think of us. And what will they think of me? Are you overly concerned with what others will think of you? Maybe you're a children's ministry teacher. You want to do an extra good job teaching. You want to knock it out of the park. Why? Well, because you want to be known as an excellent teacher. You want a teacher's honor. And look, it's great to do your best, but does that sound like the right motive? Do you think God will bless that self centered motive? Or maybe you help clean and you think, you know, no one has ever cleaned these windows at church, like all the windows ever. And you think to yourself, you know, I'm going to do that. Then people will recognize how useful I am and, and they'll praise me. Is that the right motive for service? And then what happens if you clean those windows and then nobody notices or cares? Nobody praises you? discouragement will result. And do you think that's ever happened in the church before? That happens all the time. 
but it again betrays that the wrong motive for ministry has crept in. Instead, have the right motive. You teach that lesson to the kids to the best of your ability. You wash those windows like never before, but you don't do it for the praise of men. You do it simply for the glory of God. Just honor God by serving with your gifts and stop worrying so much what others will think of you. You just worry about what God will think of you. He sees the secret motives of your heart as well. So make sure they are pure. Just be found faithful. As you do this, you'll find encouragement in ministry and joy and excitement. And even if we don't get results or success by the world's standard, it's enough for us to know that the Lord is pleased by our efforts. That is, after all, our ambition, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we have it as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's all we're trying to do, just to be pleasing to him. We've seen this morning the contrast in ministry motives between the self-serving minister and the Christ-serving minister. And you know which one is right. But by way of application, just recalibrate your heart according to the right motive for ministry. Be reminded and then be renewed in your purpose and passion to seek Christ's glory, his honor, his fame, and his name. And put that into practice by daily dying to self and denying self. Let that be your New Year's resolution to live for his name. Our sinful flesh wants to exalt ourselves. In our heart's rebellion, we all want to seek our own glory and honor and praise. We, we want our name to be esteemed by others. We want to be the celebrity. But the minister of the gospel must deny self. And you have to die to self. It's not wrong, in a sense, to want recognition. It's just that the only recognition that matters must come from God. Look, we could compromise our values our message, our methods. We could do things like the world. And then we would achieve the world's success. And those in the world would tell us, well done. But you know what? I don't want to hear well done from the world. That means nothing. That recognition must come from the only person that matters. And that's the Lord. And so instead, you just be a faithful servant to the Lord with a pure heart and the right motives seeking his name and his glory. And then one day you will hear those words from him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Our great and gracious father in heaven, we, we resolve this morning to serve you. As you read earlier, you are our great, an awesome God, magnified, worthy to be praised. We just stop and think about who you are, the mighty and almighty one, no beginning, no end, the creator, what you have done in making us and then even redeeming us by sending your son Christ to die on the cross and rise from the dead that we might be forgiven. You have done all things for us and called us to yourselves. And, and we know in our heart of hearts, you alone are worthy, worthy of everything, our praise, our lives, everything, Lord. 
But our, our flesh doesn't want to give it. We want to take it. We want to be exalted. We want to be God, to be like God. Lord, I pray it's our resolve, our renewal this morning and hereafter to deny self. As Christ called us to pick up our cross and just follow him. He is the one we praise. His is the name above all names. It's our mission and even our joy now to live for him. You've, you've made this the place of joy. And I pray we're convicted and then turn that into change as we examine our motives. and Live for him. We, we long for Christ to return. We'll, we'll share his joy and his glory. We get to be part of his kingdom. We get to be attached to his name. This is where our place is found. For here and now, Lord, may we just find our purpose in serving you, doing so with joy and endurance as we live to make his name great. It's his, in, in his name we pray. Amen.